while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello and welcome to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and our Reasonable Voice today is Bumi Peterson, MFA, Artistic Director of the Hamner Theatre, and my dear friend. Bumi Peterson was born and raised in New York City and was, for many years, a professional track scholarship student with the Joffrey Ballet, no less. But she gave up the dance to attend Princeton University, where she eventually majored in English and theater and won the Francis Page Prize at graduation for both theater and dance. Bumi spent 10 years on and off in Tokyo, Japan, where she did professional voice over work, ran Tokyo Theater for Children, was actor, director, and board member of or for Tokyo International Players, and wrote several commissioned pieces for Earth Day and other special events. Bumi Peterson has been artistic director of the Hamner Theater since 2005 and has directed dozens of productions and shepherded dozens of new plays toward production as artistic director of the Virginia Playwrights and Screenwriters Initiative. In 2019, Bumi worked with playwright Doug Grissom to launch Chekhov Unbound Three Sisters, a touring production of Chekhov's play in a new adaptation. Cherry Orchard is part of both Chekhov Unbound and of the Newtown Project, and will tour the former plantations and estates of the wealthy Afton Greenwood area, which surround the area of Newtown. Quoting now, The role of the artist is to ask questions, not to answer them, said Chekhov. And the Newtown Project is adhering precisely to this Chekhov gauntlet. By the way, Boomy Peterson is the founding artistic director of the Hamner Theatre, a project-based theatre company whose mission is to boldly serve and heal our communities through conversation-provoking theatre in creative spaces. Thus the hashtag, let's talk about it. One of the many things that bond Boomy and me is 
In addition to all her work as artistic director of the Hamner Theatre, Boomy Paterson is primary caregiver for her mother, an amazing dramaturge with whom I've had the pleasure of working. Carol Paterson is now living with dementia. So, welcome Boomy Paterson to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program, and how are you today? I'm fine, Marcello. That was quite an introduction. I'm wondering who you're talking about, but I guess that's me. It is you. And you know, I wrote you about your intro because because we know each other so well, and you have been on my other show a few times, but I don't know that I've said everything that needed to be said or should have been said because you've done so much. So I wanted to make certain I got it all and you wouldn't tell me anything, so I went looking and I found tons of things. <laughs> in any case, it's so good to have you on this show, The Reasonable Voices. So let's jump right in with how about connecting your mission-driven dots between three things, the Newtown Project, the Greenwood Afton African-American Community, and Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. Wow. Okay. So do you are you familiar with the book that just came out by Clint Smith, Dr. Clint Smith, called How the Word is Passed? Only by its title. I know it exists. I haven't read it. So what he did was basically go across the country to the grounds that were where some of the atrocities of our history occurred, one of which was Angola prison, one of which is Monticello. Mm. Um, Anyway, one of the things that he talks about is that we have to know about the ground that we walk on. And and so interesting that he is... um, Say, saying that because that was very much part of what birthed the Newtown project was here we are in what is essentially a designated growth area for Albemarle County. Mm-hmm. Who knows anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so Royal Cherie, who is the resident playwright at the Hamner Theater, is a board member, asked about the diversity in the community. And I said, you know, Royal, I really, I, I don't know because when I first moved out to Crozet, there was a lot more non-white population and as Crozet grew and all of the affordable housing was sort of squeezed out it became very much homogenized and you know a lot of white people but I knew about Newtown as a once thriving African-American community right in the Greenwood Afton area essentially in the foothills of the Blue Ridge so several things of course affected that one was the building of 64 which like the building of the Shenandoah National uh, park and Parkway, unhomed, dehoused, whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. many people. The same thing happened when 64 went in, but I don't think it affected Newtown as much as the chemical plant that the DuPont company somehow managed to put in Greenwood. And actually, it was in 1930-something, I can't remember the exact date, a chemist started it, and then it was sold, I think, in 1950-something, and the guy who um, took it over and named it the Greenwood Chemical Plant was, by all accounts, a crazy man. Hmm. He, he blew off part of his leg working on toluene okay. um, as an ingredient in car safety mechanism or something. I, anyway, I, it's all the specifics are not at the tip of my tongue, obviously. But what we discovered was that in 1985, there was a chemical plant explosion at the Greenwood Chemical Plant. And that essentially annihilated what was left of Newtown. Hmm. Um, There were four men who were at work at the time in the plant. They all ran out of the plant on fire. 
they all died. There is an account by a woman named Janet Sims that you can read about in the Crozet Gazette, also in the Daily Progress, I believe, who witnessed the whole thing. She had gone to pick up her son at the bus stop, school bus stop, and she was a, a resident of Newtown. And she said she saw these men come running out, and she was with, there was a friend who was a nurse who said, let's wrap them in damp sheets. So they found sheets, they wrapped them up. And she was there, and and, and anyway, they all died. Hmm. There was, needless to say, minimal compensation, which by the time everybody got paid what they thought they were due, there was very little left for the families of these four men. I believe three of the families were African-American and one was white. And many of the relatives still live in the area. And so in our investigation, Royal and I and the rest of the Newtown team decided that we wanted to sort of bring attention to the fact that this was right here. And not only was this right here, this kind of environmental injustice, putting unsafe, unhealthy, toxic dumps essentially in mm-hmm. you know, lower economic areas, which mm-hmm. are disproportionately populated by people of color, this is a, happens across the nation. I mean, this is not unique to Virginia. And in fact, there are a number in Virginia. The Greenwood Chemical Plant site was actually became a Superfund site by the EPA, in large part through the efforts of the Greenwood, oh God, what were they called? It was several white landowners who were worried about the well water, mm, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't worried about the people who were living in Newtown. They were worried about their own well water. And of course, because that happened and the EPA got involved, then everybody's water was better, which was good. But what if they hadn't done that? Yes. I mean, I don't want to think about it. So there has been essentially no action there. It was an article recently about someone who bought it. He wanted to turn it into a training center for alternative energies. But it turned out that that was, in fact, a scam. And after the Daily Progress had written this article, it turned out this gentleman had tried to do the same thing in Waynesboro with the DuPont site. Hmm. And basically, he used the press release as, a, as an advertising gimmick to get people to come invest in his idea. He, there was no project. There was just an idea that didn't happen. So oh it's still sitting there behind its chain link fence. And right next to it is the Mount Zion Baptist Church, which is still a very active church and congregation. Mm. And then on the other side is Summerest Lane, which is the main road of Newtown. And, and there are still a few people that live in the area, but it is by no means thriving. And it is by no means a community anymore. So, so that was... Oh, and then, so then, the cherry orchard. So how does the cherry orchard fit into all of this? Yes. So if you follow the sort of what happened after emancipation, many former enslaved people formed communities in the areas in which they were working. And I think that that may have been what Newtown, and there's also another community on the other side of 250 called Freetown. And I'm, I am sort of making this part up because there is very little recorded history about how it was founded other than that it was once at least 300 people strong Mm. so once the slaves were emancipated the enslaved peoples were no longer enslaved theoretically what happened to the plantations well the plantations that were in that area like mirador and some of the larger houses became just getaways for the wealthy and so there is an historic register in which it refers to in which that area is referred to as the playground of the wealthy Mm -hmm. so there was was a huge sort of 
irony of the playground of the wealthy cheek by jowl with this toxic dump mm-hmm. and that all you are aware of is the beautiful mansions and now there's a winery and Corin Capshaw owned one of them and blah 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 so thinking about the cherry orchard and how that was very much about shifting demographics and and this sort of taking on of the constructive productive evolution of the land and the economy and everything and that shift seemed somehow parallel to what was going on in that area with the mansions and the Newtown community. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, if we do Cherry Orchard as a tour and call it, I mean, I called it casually the plantation tour, <laughs> but I don't think any of those, I mean, so it would be the, the, the what would, just the Cherry Orchard tour, but to go stand, do it on the grounds of like Mirador and some of the other estates around there to sort of bring attention to what those places were and what happened on them and what's buried literally buried deep within the ground it seemed to me that that would be an interesting way of talking about our history right yes. what 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 are we walking on whose bones are we walking on quite literally hmm. so then when when i heard about how the word is passed and i realized that clint smith had done this with his trip across the country and all of these places i thought well that's that that makes so much sense to me that you would actually go to a place and say this isn't a theater right this is a piece of land on which many things have happened. It is full of stories. It is full of life and death and all of that. And so let's explore that and talk about it and try to understand how we got to here. Because I think there is so little curiosity these days about how people got to where they are. You just assume, oh, I'm here. I'm going to take advantage of everything. I just feel like we have to be more mindful of our ancestors. Yes. Quite literally. So that's a very long-winded way of probably not answering your question. Oh, no, you you answered it profoundly. You know I'm a history buff, and I love that. But much of this, I'm certainly no expert in history, in Virginia history, that's for sure. But as you say, these kinds of things have happened, you know, and continue to happen throughout the the nation, especially this whole thing of coming in and and let's say, what would they call it, upgrading the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Gentrifying. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, that cuts out the people who were living there originally because That's the exactly housing right. costs and whatever. So, no, that answer was, wow, it was fabulous. Okay. But it's also, you know, Vinegar Hill. Just, yes, you know, uh, yes you know, I was going to say, yes. is a place just like that where yes. there was a thriving community that suddenly was displaced and put in projects. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, it is all around us, and there's a healthy tradition of it in, in Charlottesville, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask one more question. We may have to finish it on the other side. Uh, but tell us, what what is the CVTA, and, and then what yeah. is your theatrical collaboration with it? Okay. CVTA stands for Central Virginia Theater Alliance. Mm-hmm which is an organization that I founded back in 2009 when there was literally a handful of theaters in the area. There was Live Arts and Fort County and Offstage and Play On and the Hamner. And then there were the university theaters, PBCC and UVA. Mm -hmm. And I believe those were the only members at the very beginning. A few other people were interested, like Joel Jones and Big Blue Door. Anyway... With the regime shift at Live Arts, they basically decided they didn't have time for an alliance, and they dropped out. And at that point, essentially, the the organization folded. 
Mm-hmm. It was meant to be supportive and build audiences and share resources and brainstorm about solving challenges so that we could just make the audiences stronger and broader for everybody. Yes. And so then fast forward, we have this pandemic and I'm thinking, wow, we should probably think about getting the CBTA going again because this is kind of a mess. You know, what are any of the theaters going to do? Maybe there's a way that we as an organization could provide something. Like I had heard about people, certain organizations would call people who were basically shut in and do monologues over the phone or read, you know, plays or whatever. And I thought even something like that, reaching out to people who are really isolated Mm -hmm. would be great. Mm -hmm. And so at the same time, I guess Jeremy Pape at Live Arts, who was the interim director, had contacted me and said, I'm thinking that I'm starting the CBTA up again. And it was like, "Mm, okay. So I did an initial call to all of the theaters in the area. I think there must be 40-odd organizations and individuals who are all theater-producing entities. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we grappled with from the beginning is, well, why do we need to be, What? who are we? We are in this moment of change. We can't just do the same old, same old. And so we committed to being a coalition of anti-racist theater organizations doing collaborative anti-racist theater. And this has been a real a real learning and um, I don't know what else to call it. So we've done some trainings together. We've mm-hmm. done some work with David Kempt. We've done some work with the Conciliation Project out of Richmond. We had a panel presentation of the few BIPOC theater members of, on the CBTA who sort of collected stories of lived black experiences in the theater world in Charlottesville and then shared them, which was incredibly eye-opening. And as you might imagine, much of the reaction was, oh, well, we didn't do that. Well, no, the point is is that, yes, we did. And it it was mostly microaggressions, which people are really not aware of Mm. because they're so ingrained because we are in a system of oppression. Mm -hmm. So anyway... One of the things that I was talking with my daughter about was, okay, so what can we do? We can't just have meetings and talk about protocol and Robert's rules of orders. That's bullshit. We need to do something. And she said, well, why don't you try to raise money for an actor's fund? And I said, that's a great idea. Raise money for actors who can't volunteer their time because most of the theaters in this area are volunteer, which is a traditionally white privilege thing, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, at the same time, I got an email from... Leslie Scott Jones, who's the artistic director of the Charlottesville Players Guild, saying, I've been talking with Hannah Vitiver, who's a board member and treasurer at Fort County, and we think we should do a collaborative production on the CBTA. And I said, well, my daughter and I were just talking about that, and I think that's a fabulous idea. So as a result, we are collaborating to do Much Ado About Nothing and do a tour, which will raise money for a fund that will start to be the Actors Fund. Wow. So. Okay. Well... That truly is a high note on which to end our first segment. I am going to take a break. No, no, no. This is great. Past, present, and future all in one segment. But we will be back with Bomi Peterson, Artistic Director of Hamner Theatre, and involved so much in using theatre and entertainment and her educational and professional background to reach out to all of the community. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Bomi Peterson. Welcome to the Andy Fell Minute. In history class, most of us learned that the Civil War ended the institution of slavery in America. The 13th Amendment declared that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude should be legal in the land. 
except as a punishment for crime. It is this conspicuous loophole that award-winning director Ava DuVernay explores in her blistering documentary, 13th. Through a series of interviews with academics, businessmen, and politicians from both sides of the aisle, along with horrific historical photographs and modern video footage, 13th makes the case that slavery never disappeared in America. It only changed form. First with the Jim Crow laws of the South, then in the 80s as the war on drugs, and now with the disproportionate mass incarceration of black Americans. The subject matter is difficult, but DuVernay has edited the film so as to make it impossible to turn away. There are no moments of silence, no places to catch your breath. Hip-hop lyrics punctuate the film's segments, relentless in their plea for justice. If ever a film deserved to become required viewing across America, it would be 13th. Watch it tonight. 13th. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. And now, Boomtown Blues, performed by playwright Royal Sheary. I've been walking all my life, walking to find some break from strife. See the man had me down. So I heard about Newtown. I got the blues, Lord, I got the blues. I got the new Town blues, yeah. Man, this don't make no kind of sense. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and our Reasonable Voice today is Artistic Director Bumi Peterson, and she is so heavily involved, not only in theater, but in theater that goes out into the community and makes theater any place she chooses. (laughs) You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a building with a stage, because she makes life, she makes land, she makes history, her stage, and people are... More, I think more and more becoming aware of how valuable her talent and her drive and her mission has always been. It's just growing because the times have changed and she is addressing new issues. Is that a good uh, way of putting it, Boomi? I think that's fair enough. I'm just trying to do what I can do. But I, can I just say one thing that sure. really struck home during this pandemic? There were all these empty buildings yes. that people worked really hard to raise money to pay for. And the people that were that made all of the art mm-hmm. were out of work. And I, all I could think was, well, if we spent less time raising money to pay for buildings and more time raising money to pay artists, think yes. how much more art we would have in the world. And that's part of the thinking about, okay, so really anything can be a stage because what is theater? It's storytelling. Yes. And it's imagination and it's connection and communication and conversation. So all of those things can happen anywhere. And more and more, I think, you know, Shakespeare was right on with this whole breaking the fourth wall thing. Mm -hmm. Because when you're sitting in the dark, it's really easy to let yourself off the hook. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. And it's not about confrontation. It's just about authenticity. 
And I really, I, I think that that interaction is so important, especially now. And we should mention also, for those who may not know, it's not a new thing for Boomi to direct, even in a theater, to direct a show and have a Q&A afterwards. That isn't just getting to know the actors. As wonderful as that is, it's to get what the audience got from uh, that's right. what they've seen. That's and right. that, and yes. that's why, you know, this. My, so the other thing that I started, and this may not be what you want to talk about, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Go ahead. When the pandemic started, I started a series of uncurated community conversations, which were an opportunity, much like a Quaker meeting or a, a chance to come and sit and let, if there was an issue or if something came up, just to be there to talk about it and be present with it. And I've had some amazing conversations with community members about, well, there were conversations about the pandemic. There were conversations about childcare. There were conversations about how women, uh, just really anything, because we weren't focused totally on it having to be about something. It mm -hmm. became what it needed to be about. But those same community conversations we do with our Zoom presentations, but they're curated because what we have is the um, con the piece that we focused on. And it's again, it's not how did you like the piece? How were the actors? It's more about what came up for you when you were watching this. Mm. And I have to say that Lamentations, which was our most recent one, which was written by Royal Cherie, is about the Middle Passage. And these are all on our YouTube channel. But one of the things we did was to incorporate photographs that were public domain images. And the combination of seeing the pictures and hearing the text, many people had the response afterwards of, I, I knew about how terrible things were, but I had no idea mm -hmm. what it was like. Mm -hmm. And I and I think that that sort of revelation is a really powerful thing in theater, right? You come with expectations and they are dashed, or yes. you come with no expectations and you are suddenly totally surprised. So that's also part of what we're trying to do. And you have done a very similar thing for Alzheimer's patients and the caregivers themselves by being a part of uh, presenting plays that uh, dealt with that. I can, forgive me for not remembering the title, but uh, uh, the play the, uh, Yes, when you um, which you directed? No, no, the one you directed. Oh, Book of Will. Book, Book of, of Will. Will. Yes. I love the one I directed too, but I remember it's a masterful play to begin with. Oh, but it's incredible, in, yeah. Yes, but it was incredibly well directed. And some actors I've worked with too, and they were all fabulous. But what was, <clears throat> in addition to all of that, was that in the audience, as you know, there were people who were who had some degree of dementia and their caregivers. And there, yeah. and there was tremendous response to how that went. And I, so I just wanted to mention that's also been within your, your sphere of uh, helping in the community, heal the community even through theater. Speaking of healing, lately I've noticed a Facebook post from our mutual friend, actor, writer, director, Larry Goldstein, about getting a, yeah, getting a new right shoulder. And the first time I saw it, I thought, what's he talking about? But he's, he's posting photographs or x-rays now. Can you tell us? a horrible about, bike accident. Yeah, tell us about that and how's he doing and how is it impacting your, the work together? The former serf who buys the cherry orchard, Lopakin, that was who Larry was playing. Uh-huh. Because of his injury, we had to cancel our abbreviated tour that was supposed to happen this summer. Mm -hmm. So that's on hold until the spring, which is actually fine because it gives me an opportunity to really try and work out the estate slash plantation portion of it. Yes. But 
but he is actually doing much better, thank God. What happened was he was on an electric bicycle on Preston Avenue, going, following all the rules. He was in the bike lane. He was doing everything he was supposed to do. And this lady in a pickup truck okay. paid no attention to him and blithely turned left. And he could not stop. And so he crashed right into her truck. Oh my God. Flew up in the air and came down on his. I think the impact of the hitting the truck was what his shoulder took, and so his whole humerus was shattered. So, oh. and the woman, this is the world we're living in, Marcello. The woman got out of her truck and was looking for dents and was ready to call the police to issue, you know, file chart, whatever. Yes. She had no concern about. She had no concern about Larry. So, this is part of the problem with this world right now. It's like. People are not paying attention. And during the pandemic, I think people did pay more attention. They mm -hmm. were more mindful. They were more cautious because they had to be because they were scared. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. Then the CDC says, oh, you don't have to wear a mask. And suddenly we are right back to not paying attention. So <laughs> it's not that simple, I know. But, but I can't help but feel that that is one of the things that's going on. And I also, my mother's neurologist, who was an avid bike rider on Garth Road, also apparently recently had a bike accident with the exact same thing. Somebody paid no attention and turned left in front of him. Oh, my goodness. And he hit the bike. And it was not an electric bike. He wasn't going as fast. And he didn't do anything but really bang himself up. But still, it's like we have to share the, the space that we're in. Yes. We, it's not mine. Yeah. It's ours. You know? And I think that's hard for people to get their heads around. Share in every sense of the word. That's the thing. Yes. Be you will be happy to know it's doing much, much better. I am. Because when I saw, you, like I said, when I saw the first post, I thought, well, what is this about? But I didn't think it was that serious until I saw the he posted these x-rays and said a little more about it. And I thought, well, no, gee. Well, no, they, it is definitely that serious. Oh, God. But he's a trooper. He is. He is that. He is that. Absolutely. And I enjoyed our time with the three of us working together. And, uh, you're both amazing talents, anyway. But I'm just thinking. After all, you just said, the old expression can't see off the end of your nose. It, there's so much of of what's dividing us is that we only see our own wants, desires, needs, uh, right. perspective. We don't see that the, it, everybody's affecting everybody. I mean. Whatever yeah. happened to No Man is an Island. But anyway, okay. Um, that is exactly right, Marcello. I'm so glad that we agree on that. <laughs> we too. How much can you share with us about other potential collaborations, you know, for the Newtown Project? For example, COC, and you keep mentioning this wonderful playwright, Royal Cherie. So and, Royal and... Cherie, is, she lives in Lynchburg. Yes. She got her MFA in playwriting at Holland's College. She has done a number of plays and has done a fair amount of work in the sort of, not in the Charlottesville area, but I've known her for some time. She suffers, and I don't think she would be upset if I mentioned this, she suffers from trigeminal neuralgia, mm -hmm. which is sometimes referred to as the suicide disease because the pain is so extreme mm. and it, it affects your face. And one of the things that she expressed was sometimes when she would be having an attack because of what it does to your face and your muscles, it makes her look like she's on something or drunk or whatever. And because she's black, she very often got the sort of side eye, like, what are you doing out? Whatever, whatever. And that, I'm just saying that because that is another example of a sort of assumption and microaggression that, you know, 
just happens, par for the course. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she is an incredibly powerful playwright. I watched a one-woman show that she did some years ago that she did down in Amherst in the space down there that has been refurbished. It was three characters, and she played each one, and it was about abuse. It was not a pretty play. Mm. Anyway, so she did Lamentations, which was about the Middle Passage. And she said to me when she said, I want to do this, she said, I, I see dance in it. And I you know, reached into the recesses of my mind, and I went, I know exactly who we should get to collaborate. And there's a wonderful dancer, teacher, writer, performer named Julinda Lewis uh -huh. that um, writes reviews, actually, of other theater events in Richmond. Mm -hmm. And I've known her very casually. I mean, she reviewed a show I was in. It was, I think, Stupid Kid. And we were coming out of the theater together, and that's the first time that I actually met her face-to-face, -face, and I met her husband. But I've always been impressed by her work. And yeah. so I thought, I'm going to reach out to Julinda. And I did, and she said, I'd love to, which was awesome. And she has a longtime partner named Monty. They dance together. They do the most incredible kind of dance movement improv, which isn't improv so much as they really pay attention to each other, and mm -hmm. they can essentially finish each other's sentences but they're doing it in dance i mean mm. it's, they're incredible together so we started this collaboration on lamentations with uh, julinda and monty doing the dance and then there were actors including an actress in texas which mm. we could never have done without zoom an mm -hmm. actor in maryland which we could never have done without zoom royal there was another actor in farmville and the gentleman who sang dixie was also in lynchburg and then tanya manuel did the music, including an arrangement of Dixie. So it, it was a very collaborative piece that we did over the course of four third Saturdays. So we started in April, May, June, no, March, April, May, June. We started in March and we ended on Juneteenth very intentionally. Yes, yes. Um, again, to draw attention to things that people don't pay attention to but take for granted, right? And and there was there's often a lot of discussion about if you ask someone what Juneteenth is, nobody really knows, mm -hmm. right? or many people don't really know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of the, the conversation afterwards, right? Why is it important that this was done on Juneteenth, this production, this performance? And for the last two iterations of it, we had changes in the dance, and actually there were changes in the dance for each one, but we had recorded the opening sequence, which is them dancing to the poem that Royal wrote uh, called The Middle Passage, but it was spoken in Yoruba, by Ty Robinson hmm. on the African burial ground in Richmond. And there was something so powerful about hearing the Yoruba, seeing these dancers in African garb, dancing in this very urban, clearly urban setting hmm. that was the African-American burial ground that was just very compelling Yes, because of all of the facets of what was going on, yes. right? which yes. I think is easier to pay attention to when it's on a screen and you can stop it and rewind it harder in real life, but still possible. Yes, and perhaps creates even a greater attempt to concentrate on it and focus. Because that's correct, it, yeah. that's exactly right. I think that's amazing. I went to a um, college reunion, and there was a dancer there named Sonia Dumas, who came because David Rousseff, who was another dancer friend of ours, um, who's also an amazing dancer in his own right, and uses dance as sort of social justice movement work. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Sonia was talking about wanting to do a piece on the confluence of the Atlantic Ocean and the Middle Passage. And I thought, I've got to I've got to put her in touch with Royal. So 
we have this dancer in Trinidad and Tobago who founded the COC, and I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a choreographic organization, and yes. they have a competition. Yes. Sonia and Royal and Julinda and Tanya, and we're all meeting, and we're going to meet again in a week to talk about doing some sort of collaborative piece about water. Yes. So, you know, really, there's this sense, and I really want to thank Zoom, that we are all connected. Yes. You know what I mean? And so going back to what you said earlier about how people are in their own bubbles, mm-hmm. I think if you're paying attention, you see, oh, no, we are all connected. And with very little effort, we can actually reach other people. Yes, yes. And I, and I think that's really a gift of the, this past year. So. And I love it. Water is a medium and, and all those things we're doing to water. <laughs> but, but, exactly, but exactly. We are, we are more water and the planet is more water. Right. You know, is wow. Okay. And then you look at the drought that's going on right now. Exactly. So, although this has certainly been very personal for both of us, an amazing conversation. And thank you so much, Boomi. But thank you for I, having me. I, oh, it's my pleasure. And we're not going quite yet. I want to make certain we get all your contact information and YouTube and, and Twitter and so forth. But I often think about you and your mother lately you know we haven't seen as much of each other but i remember the last time the three of us were together and what a great great conversation as always but in the five years i have a good friend in florida right down there in the middle of all the hurricane and demolishing of the condo and so forth Mm. and so that's on my mind but i lived in florida and worked in florida for five years in south florida and i was always always told the front office, even though I, I did more film work down there than theater, but I did launch a theater down there, directed uh-huh. the opening season, all that kind of stuff. But I would always say, don't interrupt rehearsal unless it's someone from New York calling me. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, it was always sort of half joke in any ways. But in my entire career, I, I've only stopped a rehearsal for two people. And one was a call from New York. It was the artistic director of the Juilliard's American Opera Center. And the oh, wow. other person, the only other person I've ever stopped a rehearsal for was your mother, Carol Peterson. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. And I remember to this day why I stopped it and why she stopped it. And I, I want to talk about her and you and how you are doing and how, because I know all too well, as you know, when someone is living with dementia, the whole family is. Mm-hmm. So how are the two of you doing and and how is she doing? Wow, that is such a loaded question. Yeah, I um, know. So, I'm happy to say that she is maintaining. Good. As the neurologist said the other day, no change is good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then there is the part of me that goes, okay, no change is great. How long is this going to go on? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I can't, if it's going to go on for another 10 years like this, then I need to make arrangements to have a break once in a while. Oh, yes. That is more than just an hour or something, right? Mm-hmm. So I talked with her primary care physician because one of the things that I find in this specialist-focused world of medicine that we live in is that people don't look at the whole person. Exactly. They look only at the disease or only at the symptoms, and and that's not helpful because it doesn't do anything. So, you know, I talked about with her physician, her need for physical therapy that was would go hand in glove with a an acknowledgement of her, the neuropathy in her legs and the fact that she can't express pain and, you know, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I feel like that all needs to be taken into account because she's one integrated being. Yes. Right? Yes. And her, she is not her dementia. So th- that's been, for me, the, the struggle recently has been to remember that mm-hmm. because the way treatments go, you are encouraged to sort of compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. So um, she comes to improv. She participates. She is hysterically funny. Oh, yes. Always um, have been. <laughs> and she makes everybody laugh. And every time we play this one game where it's called pencils, where... You basically, one person is an inanimate object, and then everyone else joins the picture. Mm-hmm. And so it starts with, I'm a blank. And every time she would get up when we would first start playing, she'd go, I'm a little teapot. But this was like every <laughs> single time we played, she said, I'm a little teapot. So now every time she's chosen to do it, the whole room goes, you're not a little teapot. <laughs> it's really funny. And she goes, I'm not. I can't be a teapot. Anyway, last night we let her be a teapot. It was really fun. Yeah. So she's okay. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. We all have fond memories of your mom, and and uh, I used to sit in on a couple of those uh, times that she would talk plays with a, mm-hmm. that small group mm-hmm. at Live Arts. Yep. And it's just astounding. I mean, some of the plays I directed, so I knew them inside right. and out, but then Carol would start talking, and I would go, hmm. Yeah. May, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, oh, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's interesting because... Her neurologist said that one of the reasons she's still relatively with it, he's convinced, is because she has such a great store yes. of information and, and reading and research and yes. that sort of stuff. So, And that's essential for anyone mm-hmm. out there listening. For my parents, it was old radio shows. And, all, and when I figured that out, because all I, I knew what Alzheimer's was, but I wasn't associated with the Alzheimer's Association at that time. Right, and, right. Um, and the, my parents uh, grew up with um, radio dramas with Jack Benny mm-hmm. and so forth. And when I figured that out, I found CDs of old radio shows. And when I played them, they came. My parents came back. They came That's back. Really they laughed. They yeah. knew. Dad would finish the joke, and Mom would hit him because he'd say the the funny line, even though she <laughs> knew it anyway. You know what I mean? It was, it's just, uh, so it's true. She has read, Garrow has read so much and that's all still in there. It's all still in there. And she does, she sits for hours watching television. And if anybody says anything, she says, I like television. I used to work in television. And I think her work in television was maybe one or two appearances on the Montgomery Clift show. Uh Uh That was it. But in her mind, she worked in television. And so she will watch it all day long. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right, then. I guess we have to go, but we need to know how we can reach out to you and, and support what you're doing and become a part of it. I mean, what is the YouTube channel? What is Twitter? What is Facebook and everything? Well, so we, there is a, I, we do have a Facebook page. Okay. We have two. We have a, a public group and a page. And, you know, I really am embarrassed at how little I know about social media, but um, you're so blessed. if you go to, to Facebook and look for Hamner Theater, it will show up. Yes. We do have a website, www.thehamnertheater.com, and theater is spelled E-R, mm-hmm. and Hamner is H-A-M-N-E-R. Autocorrect always wants to make it Hammer Theater. Very few people, I think, know anymore who Earl Hamner was, which is really sad, but it's what happens. Yes. Well, um, tell us. We so, know. You and I know. Let's tell them. Oh, well, Earl Hamner was the man who wrote The Homecoming, which was the novella that 
Hallmark Channel turned into a movie, which then became the Waltons television series. Yes. And so he was the most watched man in television, or most watched the homecoming. The Waltons was the most watched show. But he also wrote for Dynasty. He Mm -hmm. wrote for Twilight Zone. I mean, he wrote for all of these television shows that people probably aren't aware of. And he was an amazing storyteller, and he was a consummate gentleman. And he left Nelson County when he was 16, but he is sort of their national treasure, so native treasure. Um, Yes. Is that what you call it? Anyway, so when we named the theater for him, it was out of respect for his legacy of storytelling and kindness, really. And there's always Walton Mountain to remind people. That's correct. Uh, that's right. And then, and then the thing that I believe that the YouTube channel access is on the website, too. Or just go to, the U- to YouTube and look up Hamner Theater, and it'll show up. Okay. And there's the Cherry Orchard. We did uh, one act of the Cherry Orchard a month the same time that we're doing Lamentations one iteration a month. Okay. So there are four cherry orchards, there are four Lamentations, and there are several other Newtown projects on the YouTube channel. Okay. All right, then. I guess we should run. It's been an absolute pleasure. It always is talking to you, and it's been way too long since we've done it, but I'm glad we did it on radio because it's been even longer since we've talked on radio. (laughs) Well, I really, I appreciate your asking me to do this, and it is great to talk to you, and I I really appreciate the opportunity to to put all of the things that I'm doing, and it helps me remember what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Exactly, exactly. So I appreciate. Thank you, Marcello, for that. My (laughs) pleasure. All right. Best to all. all. Hug everybody. You know, special. I will. Special kiss for Carol. All right. I will give her one, and she will say, "Oh, give him one back." (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. You may have one back. (laughs) Thank you, Boomy. God bless. Thank you, Marcello. Bye now. And now, Boomtown Blues. Performed by playwright Royal Sheary. I've been walking all my life, walking to find some break from strife. See, the man had me down, so I heard. About Newtown I got the blues Lord, I got the blues I got the new town blues Yeah Man, this don't make no kind of sense Hi, I'm Marcello Rolando of Rolando and Dresner Productions, and Larry and I are vaccinated, masking up, and moving forward with our new musical dramedy, A Little Place Called Earth. COVID-19 and our 2020 elections have brought out the best and worst in some of us, but few of us have to learn what to do if a police officer stops us, and less than half of us have to worry about where we jog, walk, or drive. As we listen to Larry Dresner's composition, Mistakenly Taken, sung by Christian Mark Gibbs, imagine what a difference it would make if all Americans shared all of America equally.
So naturally I was the one They weren't really that bad after all So I figured I had nothing to lose I guess maybe I was special There were many more kids to choose Down deep I was happy Like I was born all over again I knew I was lucky Been lucky before Can't remember when So I packed my bags We drove away I waved as we passed the gate Imagine me with a family I didn't feel one bit of hate Mistakenly taken Regretfully returned Apologies to those involved I hope no one was burned That's all they said And I was sent off to bed Mistakenly taken, regretfully returned. Please give the kid a kiss goodnight. I'm sure he'll be alright. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Some people came to the shelter one day. Decided to leave a son They dropped off a kid in need of love So naturally I was the one Down deep I was angry Like I died a little inside Down deep I was angry I remember the feeling As a information, listen to our Rolando and Dresner Productions podcast on Marcello Rolando's YouTube channel. Thank you, and join us online, on stage, and on earth.
I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Perhaps it's time we re-evaluate the gods we worship. If we believe timing of Facebook's recent global disappearance wasn't whistle-blowing ads and fans in the wind reaction, we might be following the followers of gods taking America's down escalator to infraction. If we don't get the Washington spirit on K Street, 1 First Street Southeast, and 1 First Street Northeast truth decay, we might be the welcome mat for older white men preying on younger females, denied a supervisory protective structure to keep predators at bay. If we are shocked, shocked to find that tax evasion is going on in the realm of billionaires, we might be a violent fool's errand boys assaulting election certification and constitution to prove we have a pair. If we are in favor of restricting voting rights for any Americans, we might be genuflecting at the altar of wannabe dictatorial religious bands. If we choose horse and cow medicine over anti-COVID vaccines, we might just be faithful to misinformation machines. If we think billionaire owners of fossil fuel companies and their too-big-to-fail 2008 Great Recession give a damn about us, we might be as blindsided as the Trump already thrown under the bus. If we no longer trust our news media, have lost faith in all levels of government, we might be prime clueless conservative pawns sacrificed as Mitch McConnell's playing chicken armament. If we are addicted to social media followers, likes from people we don't even know, and climate change denial, we might be too preoccupied to grant full citizenship to some as essential. If we think most MIA females snatched from family existence look like Gabby Petito, we might be accomplices after these facts. More Native Americans, Latino Americans, African Americans, and Asian Americans have been disappeared by such violent acts. If we are laissez-faire regarding what happens to Americans of color under police care, we might be a burning crosses rerun paying it backward, forgetting silence is consent on a dare. If we are tickled pink by a West Virginia senator cloning Pomeranian Twister, projecting his gridlock aiding and abetting onto McConnell and Schumer, misters, we might be accessories on merry-go-round for faux debt-sealing mixers. If we believe life insurance is not a bet that we won't die, and health insurance a Medicare inhibitor if we try, we may be a pig in a poke due to America's health insurance accountability is a joke. If we believe child abuse comes only by the hands of Catholic priests, Weinstein's casting couch, or an invisible Roy Moore jury, we may be missing the bigger picture of crucial race theory. If we had only paid African Americans a livable wage to slave for Caucasians, we might be wise to the antebellum South's whipping post persuasion couldn't, without human labor, ever rise to any occasion. If we believe a school fight automatically ends in gun violence when there is no gun immediately available to interrupt parlance, we might be suckling on the short-sighted shooter of an NRA dalliance. 
if we assume it was good to pay 5.8 trillion tax dollars for Bush Cheney lying us into Afghanistan, but call 3.5 trillion for providing ignored human necessities a national entitlements plan, we might be adrift on an almost heaven Republican clan. If we publicly plead for saving West Virginia's dollars tree store, we might be less of an obvious opportunistic hypocrite if we knew the correct name of the store before our photo op bit. If we travel to Mount Airy, North Carolina, looking for a reality in a Mayberry fantasy tour bus ride, we may be the rising reincarnation of the godless society of whites only Southern pride. If we think overloaded cargo ships backed up off California shore and New York port, stalling the global supply chain is no danger signal proof, we might be oblivious to an inconvenient truth. If we believe Exxon and partners in greed didn't really know, we might need George C. Scott in the formula with Marlon Brando before Mother Nature reaps what we sow. If we think 38 million hungry, 50,000 opiate overdoses, and over 713,000 COVID deaths in America is a hoax, we might be the bottom line punchline for those for whom hardworking Americans are merely jokes. If we think corporatism, social media platforms, algorithms aren't mind-shaping us for profit, we might be the misinformed attacking government institutions believing in Giuliani's secret docket. If we think pizza pedophiles are more authentic than constitutional rights to peacefully disagree, we might be the flag-waving Asian attacking democracy-stealing pawns, subpoena ignorers, and Bible photo opportunists needed to cancel the land of the free. If we believe America cannot be disappeared unless we the people worship false prophets, we might be the gods of America's true infrastructure, children, who are democracy's comet. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.